Hey guys, welcome back. Uh, a few announcements before we get started. There are tickets still available for our Secret Space Conference. Uh, that link is below in the chat. And uh, last episode, I mentioned that there was no on-site lodging available, but there was camping available. That is true, but there are, I forgot to mention, there are plenty of Airbnbs and hotels available nearby if you're looking to, if you're still looking to come. Uh, still plenty of tickets available. And if you can't make it, grab a live stream ticket. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're getting excited. It's right around the corner, uh, just a little over a month away. So yeah, we hope to see you guys all there. Tonight, we are joined by John W. Warner, the fourth. Um, he's an author, historian, researcher, and his father was Senator John Warner III, who was a secretary to Navy, and his mother was Catherine Mellon of the Mellon Banking family of Pittsburgh. I guess I'll turn it over to you, John, let you explain um, I'll let you explain that. Uh, uh, my cousin, Chris Mellon, uh, we are, you know, we were friends, but um, we've had a bit of a falling out, especially after my Twitter adventure. But um, he uh, he worked for, you know, the CIA and the DIA, uh, probably still does, because uh, you never leave those positions. Um, my wife is ex-CIA. Um, I know a lot about it. I have a lot of friends. I have uh, in the Office of Naval Intelligence, friends of my father, you know. But Chris, uh, you know, he and Lou Elizondo have been on the forefront of this UAP office and UAP task force. You know, they were doing the Two of the Stars Academy, uh, which is a goofy CIA psyops. Uh, I <laughs> oh, yeah. told him that. <laughs> um, <laughs> he kind of agreed. But, uh, you know, it, it um, I'm just, as I've said in other interviews, you know, I found myself uh, 25 years ago at sort of a nexus of things, um, doing family research. Uh, you know, I'm a military historian. Uh, I spent a lot of time with my dad traveling the world. Um, and so I finally started to realize that my family was very much involved in the national security state since World War II and maybe before. Um, and also because of the financial banking, uh, they were really involved in, you know, what you would call the deep state of uh, the, you know, before World War II. Um, but it's a very mm -hmm. complex, uh, long story. I don't know how much you want to get into it, but um, Chris and I have had, you know, exchanged some shells, you know, long distance naval shells on Twitter and, and things like that. I've left because Twitter is a shit show and it... it uh, most people just want to be entertained. It's not really a, a good forum for information. And of course, uh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of trolls and uh, very nasty people out there who, you know, are probably on the payroll. Right. Somebody's payroll. Oh, yeah. Um, so how did your uh, cousin take it when you told him about Two Stars being a psyop? I mean, you said he kind of agreed, but how did he end up in that position and what, what was going on there? Well, we had seen each other years ago at a family reunion. His brother had passed away. We saw each other at a funeral. We actually went to camp together in 1973 when we were boys. Um, but he and I had a, a long discussion at my farm. Uh, and I said, I really want to help you because I know a lot about a disclosure. You know, I told him a story. I, I showed the MJ-12 files to my dad in 1993 when I was 31. And after a few months of back and forth, I got my dad to crack on it. Um, you know, basically admitting that that he knew, you know, he was read in on a portion of the UFO file. He was chairman of the Armed Services Committee, and he sat on the Select Intelligence Committee for many years. 
And he, of course, he worked with the Navy and Marines closely. And I've, I've known a lot of these admirals and, and people that, he, you know, we've traveled the world with all, all over the years. You know, I met Bobby Ray Inman and all of them. And, you know, I always had UFOs on the mind as a younger man. And uh, they all, the Navy all seemed very excited. Bobby Ray Inman, you know, in the 90s, he was like, oh, we're hopeful that in the early 2000s with a regime change, we'll have some disclosure and the Navy can let out some of its high technology. Well, we got 9-11 instead. Right. Yeah. That, you know, it seems like every year they try to do something. Um, but Chris and I are at odds because what he and Elizondo are doing is, is a very scripted, uh, very weak narrative. You know, they're pushing the UAP thing, which is a distraction from the term UFO. Yeah. And I said, look, man, you know, this is bullshit. You know, even if 10% of the wild stuff he see called it is true, it's horrifying and, and, and you know, mind blowing. And, you know, we talked about medbag technologies and things that the military wanted to let out to the public. You know, all of our, a lot of our technology is said to be back engineered, um, you know, laptops, ballistic glass, cling wrap, fiber optics, microchips, you know, down the line and your cell phone has more technology in it than, <laughs> right. than anything. It's incredible. Right. And of course, a lot right. of it's spyware, but oh, so yeah. we didn't get anywhere. Um, with each other. And I finally, uh, Stephen Greer, who was a longtime friend, called me up and says, listen, you want to be on my new documentary? You know, Chris and Lou aren't doing shit. And I said, yeah, they're pushing the conversation sideways. They're diluting the narrative. You got it. And so I agreed to be on the cause. I think it's called the cosmic hoax. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually was, I just watched it. I was just telling Tyler that, uh, before the show and I saw you on there. I was like, Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, and my dad urged me to come forward in his later years. He, he couldn't tell me a lot of things verbatim. He took his national security off very seriously. And I said, mm -hmm. I understand that, but you know, this is getting to be very disturbing and serious. And what he would do is he, when I traveled with him and, and otherwise on Capitol Hill, he showed me how the deep state operates banking military. I mean, he showed it to me. He's like, you know, when I, when I, grilled him in 2002. I said, look, something hit the Pentagon and ain't no damn plane. I'm a pilot. There's the debris field is insufficient. Where's yeah, the luggage, man. where are the bodies, where's the jet engines and the wing indentations. And he got very upset. And he says, that's the one thing I won't talk about with you. Really? So what he's saying to me is, yes, a Tomahawk missile, hit it, go figure it out on your own. I can't talk about it. Mm. But you know, other things he would talk about, uh, and over the years, but it was the MJ-12 files. You know, I was pretty naive when I was 31, but once we had that out in the open, then I started, you know, the Pandora's box just opened and I started researching everything. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, I was a racing driver at the time, but you know, I would read everything and research between my schedule. Um, right. Yeah. So, so going back to you said you were friends with Stephen Greer. I know one of uh, there's a lot of controversy around him himself as far as he only claims that there's only there are no negative ETs. Right. And uh, do you agree with that? No. Uh, he, he and I have had many conversations, and I, I can't get him. I said, "Look, man, uh, yin and yang, duality. <laughs> the universe is based up, you know." But yeah. somehow he 
has fixated. Somebody told him, gave mm-hmm. him some line of bullshit. I said, come on, you know, I, I agree with you. It's mostly benevolent. You know, some are yeah. But come on, our whole history has been influenced by you know, ETs, you know, going back millions of years. I mean, it's there's just no doubt that, you know, in everything there there's you know polarity. And if you study metaphysics and the occult, and I write about it in my books, you know, it's you need both sides. There cannot be light without the dark. It, exactly. You need that. In the Iroquois nation, there were seven chiefs of war and seven chiefs of peace. I think they were Anunnaki. Um, mm. And he said, you have to have that balance. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, I think Alex Collier said it best. You know, the Andromedans told him, uh, you know, Earth is the darkest place in the universe. <laughs> Waddle Canal and, yeah. you know, the Holocaust all wrapped into one. You know, that's why everyone's taking a big interest because this could go way south. The whole human experiment, you know, Gaia, mm-hmm. the Mother Earth, the environment. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people living on this planet that we can't see or most of us can't see. And, you know, I don't understand why certain ET groups and everything, we can't do more and interact more on a public scale, but somehow, you know, it's always private groups that, that seem to get the, you know, contact points. Right. I remember you said in one interview, you saw a military document that said that we were, uh, U.S. military was working with the Saurians, which would be, I guess, a type of reptilian. Yes. Uh, William Tompkins references it in his book. And um, a few of my Navy contacts sent me uh, through the email a document. He said, what what do you make of this? And I said, well, I'm not sure. But there's lots of talk about, you know, reptilian races, you know, for every insect, bird, fish, reptile on Earth, there's supposedly a bipedal, you know, uh, intelligent version, humanoid analog out in uh, the universe. It's not a big deal. You know, the lion headed people of Egypt and, uh, you know, the the sign of phallus of the Middle Ages, the dog headed men. I mean, it's something big is going on. And, you know, I'm a historian and. You know, that's where I sort of got into all this was all the holes in history. And when you start digging into the esoteric stuff, you're like, oh, okay, now I know why they left it out. Um, So, but yeah, I'm not sure why Greer takes that line. uh, But, you know, as you know, with the super soldiers, and I I talked to one or two of them privately, um, you know, we've got a lot of horrendous issues to deal with. And uh, the problem with the disclosure movement is, you know, I tell people this, you know, 35 years ago when I was starting in the early 90s, I'd been a UFO fan of my whole life, Star Trek fan. And I always said, hey, it's coming, Star Trek. (laughs) All my friends were like, you're an idiot. And then in 2017, when they came out, Warner's not such an idiot after all. You know, all my Harvard friends with their PhDs, Mm -hmm. uh, they're all idiots, sadly, they're all ignorant. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> indoctrination and so, yep. yeah 35 years ago Stephen Greer Stephen Bassett Dolan Linda Moulton Howe you name it they were considered the cutting edge fringe the whack jobs oh, yeah. oh, and yeah. now they're the old guard conservatives yep <laughs> you know and it's like yep. everyone's like oh that secret space program narrative you know you know everyone has ruined that and then there's you know the everyone demonizes it oh are you a blue chicken fan or something I'm like, I've seen this before. 
it's older folks who have seen it. It's like Project Blue Book. And in the 80s, they were saying, oh, you're, you're the Roswell crazies, they called them. Yeah. You know, they think right. something crashed and it was just a weather balloon or, or an Air Force jet. You know, and I said, yeah. I've seen all this before. And same thing with Chris Mellon and Lou Elizondo and the UAP initiative with Senator Gillibrand and Rubio, a bunch of dumb senators. I, I, I boy, that, <laughs> I mean, my dad said they're all bought and paid for. He told me we agreed on that. Oh, That's yeah. why he aligned himself with the Navy and the Marines. But man, these guys are just pathetic. Well, um, well, I, I mean, that's part of the reason that we're even doing our conference based around the secret space program, because I see exactly that the ridicule and the, the people are mocking it um, within the disclosure. Right. Arena. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. we're trying to we're trying to take it seriously because it to me, I mean, it's real. Let's face yeah. it there. We have plenty of evidence going all the way back since the beginning of the space race. I mean, they, they were doing things behind the scenes. And obviously they were developing out some sort of secret programs back then. And they, who knows what they've blossomed into today. And now we have whistleblowers coming out talking about this stuff. And I'm, I'm sorry, like, it's just, you can't ignore it at some point. Can't ignore all that. Exactly. No. And, and the thing is with me, I can come to it from a slightly different angle than most having grown up here in DC with my dad and my family. Um, Shit. I mean, the Mellons have been in national security. They've been in military intelligence in droves. We're a very small banking family. There's about 130 of us. But we've had, I've been told by Navy people, oh, shit, the Mellons. <laughs> they come up in the meetings. My wife said that the Mellons came up in meetings with the CIA. My uncle Tim Mellon ran a, a Pan Am Systems Railroad. Yeah, they he hauled cargo to the CIA. He bragged about it. You know, what, spare UFO? Parts, you know, legal weapons. I don't know. So, I mean, my family's deep in it. My grandfather, Paul Mellon, was OSS in World War II. And he was involved in Project Paperclip with Alan Dulles. Because Alan really? Dulles was station chief in Switzerland. And they knew each other before the war. My grandfather knew Wild Bill Donovan, who ran, ran the OSS. He knew Patton because he, he fox hunted with them out in Middleburg, Virginia, which is 60 miles that way. And, you know, I grew up out there as well on the weekends with my dad. And, you know, I, my grandfather told me all kinds of wild stories about that. You know, he told me there were over 5,000 German scientists, assistants, you know, not, not this pathetic 1,100 we're, we're told, you know. Um, what? I, mean, I started piecing this stuff together and it became very disturbing very quick for me. I'm not proud of my family history. I, I'm not proud of it at all, but it is what it is. Uh, and that's why I'm come forward. You know, like I said, my dad and my wife, we discussed it. And before my dad died in June, you know, he said, you know, I trust your judgment. You need to go forward because your cousin Chris is not telling the full truth. And he was, mm -hmm. you know, he understood national security and, you know, they have a point, you know, people, some people might panic, but it's the religious people. I think they're afraid of someone said, um, yeah. The ETs are very worried that people will commit suicide en masse. And so that got my attention because, you know, I, I'd rather just blow the whole damn thing open all at once. But that will cause some paradoxes and uh, you know, some suicide deaths. I mean, most people just their hard floor reality will be gone in a second. Right. Yeah, that's huge dramatic. I've had all my life to come to terms with that. But a lot of people overnight, it's probably not a good idea. Like the three of us would be absolutely <laughs> like bring it on yeah 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 but the, when you look at the majority of 
people and the false kind of reality most people have as their foundation it's that would almost be like too too fast too traumatic and you're right i think it could lead to to unfortunately that and just mass chaos in general and, and that's what it seems like even the good guys like the alliance understand that and they're trying to avoid that so they're trying to push as hard as they can but at the same time be careful to not um crack things open too fast and too much at once yeah but again it's like people like us that we're like get, let's just rip the band-aid off already like good lord like just, let's just do this you know it's like we're getting tired of of waiting but uh i think there needs to be a certain level of awakening on the public scale first yeah. and that's yeah. what we see happening i just hope that continues to happen and without letting the deep states um because they're still trying to fulfill their agendas clearly and steer us in in that direction so we'll see how yeah. things play out you know well uh, you know there's there's a couple of things i wanted to mention in this interview and, and they're probably not mm -hmm. going to be popular with some people but i've had uh, you know, i have enough years under my belt uh, with this issue to notice trends mm -hmm. and uh, while i'm all for you know i know a, a lot about the occult i write about it and my character is a woman. She embodies the divine feminine and all that. But she's a warrior as well, a light warrior, but also a warrior in World War II, spy, pilot, and, and her gang. Um, but one thing I see that is, and I'm not the only one, there are a few people out there, it's not a popular thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm controversial myself. Illuminati, asshole, fine, you know. Illuminati just means illumined. So everyone in the disclosure movement's an Illuminati, but they, they throw it as this catch-all term. Uh, trust me, a lot of rich people are yeah. damn stupid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trust me on that. <laughs> At the yacht club, they're like, oh, should we play golf or tennis? I don't know. Let's have a martini. And that's it. Yeah, so, very low consciousness level. Yeah, yeah. it's not yeah. just, you know, you don't have to be blue-collar or middle-class to be in the disclosure movement. You know, no, no. no. You know, I've talked to some people, but they're scared to, you know, the very few ones I know that are, that are you know, in the wealthy class, you know, rule, you know, committee of, committee of 300 families. You know, they're like, well, I know there's something happening, but I don't want to get involved. You know, they're scared shitless. Oh, yeah. Oh, but yeah. the thing I wanted to touch on is while I definitely uh, agree with we should all raise our vibration, consciousness and everything, there's 10,000 attractive women on YouTube and the internet saying, oh, I'll help you with ascension and, you know, just put this crystal in your ear and you know, <laughs> just you know, oh, yeah. let go of stress and all this stuff, which is good advice. But, you know, if you really look at, at the shamans and I've studied Sufi, uh, the whirling dervishes and everything, it's a hard road. Uh, it's not this sit down with a crystal and, and meditate a little bit and let everything go. It, it takes a lot of work. And so mm -hmm. there's this a lot more down to earth than right. that. Yeah. And I, I try, <laughs> but yeah. there's this, this, this clear agenda, I believe. And I'm not the only one. I think Mark Passio and a few others. He's awesome. Yeah. It's popular, but I think there's an agenda out there to emphasize only the positive and not do the shadow work, which is the darkness. I mean, you know, you can't ignore 50% of the equation. Yeah. 
and boy, you know, I've received hate mail on, on Twitter and whatever for that. Uh, a few people agree with me, but most of it's like, oh, you're a hater. You know, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, trust me, you know, my grandmother, Mary Mellon, was a mystic. She knew Carl Jung and Gurdjieff oh, nice. and all those people. And she advised my grandfather to join the OSS because they wanted mystics. They were up against the, the Nazi SS, you know, Walter Gerlach and, and the Vril Society, Tula Society, and all their mystics channeling information. It was like, shit. And now I find out the Americans were doing so, but on a much smaller scale with FDR in the 30s. Mm. Anyway, so that's issue one. I, I think there's way too much emphasis. Not that you need to overemphasize the negative stuff, but God damn it, you gotta, you gotta, you can't ignore that. Well, you gotta so acknowledge, acknowledge it and you gotta deal with it. Oh, they, yeah, they're the like, oh, these SSP people, they're crazy. And it's like, well, 35 years ago, they were calling everyone else crazy. But they don't remember that. And a lot of, no offense, but a lot of young people come to this and they, they're like, oh, I've read three books. I know everything. I watched all the videos. And it's like, no, you've had to have life experience. Well, uh, that's like, like some of the best masters have lived the darkest lives because, exactly. because yep. you, can't, you can't gain wisdom without experience. So going through to like the people who've lived a tough life, I have a lot of respect for, and the people who've had dark past, you know, some of those are, those are going to be your best healers and teachers because, you know, they've been there, they've done that. And that message you just said, that's what we push on this show. Anyway, we don't push it, but we we're constantly talking about that. You can't just love and light your way out of this stuff. You you know, you have to deal with it. No, we got to bypass it. Bypass it. I've had a very privileged uh, life. But, you know, I've dealt with mental illness in my family. Uh, I've dealt with, uh, you know, depression and I have chronic pain, you know, and I've been through the dark night of the soul uh, two or three times in my life where, you know, fuck it, I don't even want to live. And, you know, say what you want. I mean, money's not going to insulate you from the darkness. I've met a lot of dark people and, and you know, preeminent among them was uh, when my dad had his... Uh, submarine named after him in 20, 2007. I went to the Oval Office with my ex-wife and Cheney and Rumsfeld and Bush were there. And man, that was just, there was so much darkness. Even my ex-wife who was not into any of this, she was like, wow, I got a shiver down my spine. I mean, these guys were cold and you could almost sense their the darkness within them. Um, you know, and my dad was a kind of a naive guy. He didn't understand anything that we're talking about. He, you know, I understood a little bit about UFOs, what the Navy was doing and, you know, that side of it, <laughs> but he's not a metaphysical sort. Uh, but my mother was, and her mother was, uh, my mother was a hippie and a mystic. I mean, she read philosophy and said, you need to read philosophy. I was like, oh no, <laughs> all I'm interested in is old cars and race cars. And, but you know, in the last 20 years I've played catch up. Um, I'm trying to think of the second issue um, that I wanted to bring up. Well, I'll remember it at some point while you're thinking of that. Um, so just this is a question I just just now popped in my head. Uh, what so what did you see that made you realize that the secret space program is a is a reality? But like what did you come across? It was a long process. I mean, I'm very much a nuts and bolts guy. I mean, I have my creative, I'm creative, I'm an artist and writer. But all through my life, um, going back to when my dad was secretary in the Navy, um, 
and I tell this story a lot, but I'd always peeked in his top secret briefings. And he was in, in, in involved in Operation Deep Freeze. And this week I found out <laughs> in Wikipedia of all places, he was involved with the Underwater National Reconnaissance Office. You can look it up, but that was a, a part of the Navy he was a part of. And I said, uh, one night we were walking along in the winter and, and he was had a few drinks and I said, I was 14 and I was like, I'm gonna hit him up. And I said, come on, what can you tell me about Operation Deep Freeze? Why do we have stuff down there? And he's like, well, the Russians have missile silos and sub bases. We've got to have our missile silos and sub bases. And I said, okay, and <laughs> you know what? All the way down there, why? And he didn't tell me why, but he looked up the night sky and beautiful stars. And he pointed up. And he said, space operations. And that was the end of the conversation. Now, that was 1976. Now, fast forward to the Majestic 12 files in 1993. I'm like, oh, shit. Does Antarctica have to do with this? And he got very agitated. And you know, he told me, listen, don't go down that road. You're going to run up against national security protocols. They're going to, you know, people think you're crazy. Don't, don't do it. He's trying to protect me. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> so throughout the nineties, you know, the Navy was always given the, the forefront of going back to World War II. The Navy was given the lion's share of crashed UFO technology because they had been dealing with it the most out at sea. Mm-hmm. And if you read my book, Lion, Tiger, Bear, uh, I have a chapter with FDR and General Marshall and Churchill in it. And they had to discuss this at this the meeting is real. And they all were Freemasons and they were all read into you know, how the world kind of works and Atlantis and Rudolf Steiner and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The Egyptian mystery school information. But they knew. And um, apparently there had been crashes of uh, you know, ET spacecraft going back to the 1880s. Uh, this is separate from the airship mysteries of the 1890s, but real crashes. And and I wrote it in, in the book I'm writing now, I expand on it, but they found intact, they crash stuff. They found them intact. They're just floating above the ground. They can't even get inside. You know, they're in a warehouse somewhere. Um, you know, they, they found all kinds of stuff. But, you know, Tesla was working with FDR, we now know in the 30s on multiple you know, invisibility, you know, the Philadelphia experiment, which was, you know, tra- uh, hyperdimensional uh, travel, but they didn't have psychic navigators. That was their problem. You need that to filter to actually navigate a vessel. Yeah, Penny Bradley, Penny, Penny Bradley talked about that. Yeah, exactly. I know Penny and she's great. Um, and so I, I write that. The thing is, um, we've always dealing with technology that's way above our pay grade spiritually and mentally and intellectually but america had to because the germans have been doing it since god knows when i mean they yeah they had understood the vedic text you know the lords of the black stone before then the real society and you know and so they were way ahead and i write it this way in my new book i mean it just we had to play catch up uh even though uh there's a story that uh, a Navy friend sent to me. I don't know if it's true, but I'm going to tell it to you anyway. Um, everyone knows the Philadelphia experiment story. High voltage, T. Townsend Brown did the main mass with the emitters. Uh, physicist John von Neumann. I think the Kleist, uh, the Varian brothers and Vannevar Bush and the MIT Rad Lab, John G. Trump. 
They were all involved. Uh, anyway, it went south. It, it, they didn't know what they're doing. Uh, like I said, a lack of a psychic navigator. And the Navy, you know, they're like, oh, fuck that. You know, we'll just flip the switch and see what happens. Yeah. But a Navy friend sent me a message and he said, I don't know if this is true or not, but given the Eldridge story, the USS Eldridge, maybe. And a dark journalist, does a, it's Daniel Lisk, does a great job of piecing together the Atlantis story with the Bermuda Triangle and the U.S. military and everything. And he's done a great job with it. But my friend sent me, he said, there was this Navy crane ship. And a crane ship is this big, beamy ship with a giant crane. It's for salvage operations. Now, the story goes that in 1936, uh, this ship, and I think with some other Navy ships, were on a, a, you know, a salvage mission, you know, officially. But unofficially, they were looking for pieces of Atlantis technology. And what it was, it was these crystal structures. I think I don't know if it has to do with the two-eye stone or not, but um, this is down near Barbados and St. Lucia, down near South America, supposedly. Well, anyway, the, the ship was equipped with powerful electromagnets and radio, radio emitters. And I'm not sure who was involved, but, you know, probably Tesla uh, is my guess. Maybe he was on board. Anyway, they, they found this structure. They sent down a Navy diving bell and, and maybe some divers uh, on the hose line. And uh, they found this one structure. And they, you know... Tesla probably knew to activate it with this electromagnetics. Well, it came on and, you know, like the Bermuda Triangle, a portal opened and this ship went either into the past or the future. No one's quite sure. And what they came back with, no one knows. But the ship's name was the USS Kearsarge, K-E-A-R-S-A-R-G-E. And I found one picture of this crane ship. It's, it's nothing. No, nothing sexy about it. And, um, but then fast forward. In 1980, my dad said, I was in high school, and he said, come to me to this, this movie. It's a Navy movie. It's a science fiction. It's right up your, you know, your alley. And I said, sure. Anyway, it was a Kirk Douglas movie uh, called uh, The Final Countdown. Mm -hmm. And they had full cooperation of the U.S. Navy. You know, carriers, F-14s flying off the plane. The story was they they went back in time through this portal, giant portal, and they were going to stop the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Didn't happen, but that was the story. And I thought, this is strange. But it, we went to the premiere, and the place was filled with Navy brass and admirals. And Kirk Douglas was there, and I'm 18, and I'm like, wow, this is cool. But an admiral sat behind us, and he patted my dad on the back, and he said, Senator, you know, with your cooperation, you know, we, now we got our recruitment film. And they were all excited. Now, the movie didn't do well. It wasn't that great. I thought it was kind of weird, you know, Navy, the time travel. I couldn't figure out why they were cooperating. But remember, in 1980, we were just about to get Reagan in office. I think the U.S. Navy and Reagan were perhaps getting ready to disclose some of those stories about Navy and portals and the Bermuda Triangle and time travel. But instead, I think George Bush Sr. probably put the kibosh on that because as vice president, he was really the power behind the White House. Yep. Um, he, he was an asshole. I met him a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. 
Trust uh, me, I wish so, I could take it back. But I find those two stories very interesting. And this week, uh, this past week, I was talking with my wife and, and I was like, this is so weird. You know, I went to this premiere and it was this weird film about a Navy carrier going through, you know, I think it was the Nimitz. And, you know, if you read back into FDR's notes, I think on Majestic Documents website, and I've talked to Dr. Bob Wood about this, you know, FDR called UFOs celestial devices. Well, the Navy, it, these things have been popping out of the ocean. The Japanese were firing on the Foo, the Foo Fighters, they called them. And so we're way, and, and there's a document that said, you know, the Navy needs to crane these saucers out of the water, bring them back to San Diego Navy base and give them to Admiral Rico Boda and the Douglas Aircraft Company. So I read William Tompkins' book and I said, shit, um, this is like the stories I've been chatting with with my Navy friends, the my ONI friends for decades. And my dad and I did a FOIA request on Admiral Rico Boda. He was an Australian born the story goes in, in the book, you know, he wasn't programmed by the American educational system. Yeah. Well, Forrestal and I, I think the Secretary of Defense and, and FDR, you know, they said, we can trust this guy, you know, put him in charge of all the spooky stuff in San Diego. Well, my dad and I did a FOIA request on him. The only reason we have one picture of Boda is because there's a, a Naval Aviation Tribute website. And there's a picture of him and said, thank gosh for Admiral Boda or our Navy fighter wing wouldn't have existed because he was a naval aviator. And my dad said, don't worry, I got still got a clearance. I'll call it up. And we did two FOIA requests with the Navy and everything. We got one page. Huh. And it's the same thing that was on the Internet. And I said, this guy's <laughs> scrubbed from history. And my dad was furious. Oh, yeah. He called up somebody in the Navy Department. He said, I'm looking at a picture of Boda. Here's his fighter wing. Why can't? Oh, oh we lost those records in a fire. <laughs> of course right. they did. Yeah. Man, sound familiar? Yeah. Sounds oh. very familiar. And the other thing about William Tompkins' book, and this is what, I'm, you know, there's a picture of him with some of the admirals. And I showed it to my O&I friend who was a Navy captain, retired. And he said, well, I don't know about this book and all this you know, stuff about Nordics and reptilians and you know, Navy space fleet, but two of those admirals are, I know them and they're real stand-up guys and they would not be involved with this bullshit if it wasn't real. And it freaked my friend out uh, completely. I mean, he's a 25 year Navy veteran in ONI. So I'm piecing all this shit together and I'm like, okay, this is way too close to home. My grandfather's involved in project paperclip you know, yada, 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 the melons, Christ, Chris melons all over the news and the newspapers. Every time he farts, (laughs) a lying sack of shit. He's a U.S. Army counterintelligence operative. My Navy friends told me, stay away from Lou. He's an in-country guy that interrogates people. I said, Mm -hmm. I have no reason to get anywhere near that guy. Well, and of course, of course, he's the face of the, the, you know, DOD disclosure and all that stuff. Yeah. The but, DOD, yeah, UAP office. Right. So going a few things, going back uh, to that film, you said that you call it a, a recruitment film, a Navy recruitment. That's film. what the Admiral said. It, it, and I thought it was really weird because I'm like, why would I join the Navy if they have a science fiction film on time travel? And then I was like, oh, shit. Well, that's key. I mean, that's huge. That's Yeah, huge, I mean, that's- I've tried to find pictures. Of, it was at the Uptown Theater in D.C. You can find that out. That's true. I mean, my dad was a senator at the time in 1980, 
Uh, he was former Secretary of the Navy. There's no doubt he would be invited, and he invited me. Kirk Douglas was there. Uh, you can, you can, you know, it's not a tall sea tale. Yeah, sounds yeah. like it, but it's not. The movie is not very good. But in conjunction with William Tompkins' books and the stories in the USS Eldridge and the Kearsarge story about 1936. If that's true, then the Navy had been dealing with time travel technology since 1936. Definitely. Yep. That's a game changer to me. You know, there's no way I could prove that, but that's the story I got. And it seemed to really disturb my friend. He was like, you know, I you know, the Eldridge story is weird enough, but this one. But I think once people get over the the you know the shock of time travel, it's like mm-hmm. I think they just use it every single day. And it's I, not a big deal. <laughs> I think, I think artificial or natural it's like everyday ho-hum shit well if you travel yeah. time travel i mean you have to imagine if let's just pretend 1936 was in fact when they started using this you know 2022 they, i mean it was a mistake they didn't know what was going to happen they you know you know yeah. the navy i mean the, the, the american military is like what's this do and they flip the switch you know, you know that's how the portal opens up to you know and so, you know, that's just the yeah. way they are. Right. Uh, hey, I mean, well, I we, love the Navy and the military, but they, you know, the top 10%, the black hats and the unacknowledged programs, you know, fuck them. Yeah. But they've been in charge and, and they've, they've been reckless with people's lives. Understanding well, the war, they had to take risks in the, the Philadelphia experiment, but it's still, it's shocking. And of course, we have all these horror stories from, you know, veterans from the secret space program and, Right. Well, yeah, so exactly going back to your you were talking about the Navy retrieving wreckages from the ocean. Now, oh, yeah. there, there was a program I learned about in the John Lear report called Operation Moondust, which was the, you, I can tell by your smile, you know about that. So, you know, they were using the, the public. The, the official story was that Operation Moondust was retrieving um, debris from the space shuttles missions. Well, they were using the Glomar Explorer. Remember the Howard Hughes ship that was designed to lift a sober Soviet submarine off the bottom of the ocean? Okay. My dad was involved in that when he was Secretary of the Navy, lo and behold. That was, yes, they tried to lift a Soviet submarine. There's some footage of it. Guess what else they were lifting off the seafloor? Right, and UFOs. It. And it all ties in. Right. Together. Yeah, of course. Well, I just thought it was... I've, you know, I read about Operation Moondust, but I hadn't really heard of any information about these retrievals until you just told that story. Uh, but it would make sense why, because if people were to know, see all this activity out there, they would have to have a public reason for being out there. Like, oh, there's some space debris from whatever, you know. Yeah, they always oh, think, have a cover. They yeah, I, I think the Navy, my personal view, and I wrote this into my book, Lion, Tiger, Bear, um, they had been sending diving bells and divers down probably in the Caribbean or elsewhere all around the world since probably the twenties looking for pieces of Atlantis or crashed spacecraft or anything unusual, how they would find that. I'm not sure, but it would make sense given that the Kearsarge, if that story is true, it was down there with a task force and they knew where to look and they knew how to activate whatever that, crystal technology was, they said it was a structure. So, so as you guys know, stone, various stone, the pyramids and everything else, it's made of different types of granite and sandstones. Mm-hmm. It's all piezoelectric. 
It's called mm-hmm. Crystal. Yep. So, you know, don't get me right. started with that shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what are your thoughts on that? That'll bend your mind. That's a whole show right there. Just the mega. Oh, yeah. It's, Easily. You're right. You're right. So let's let's bring Russia into the picture here and the Soviets, uh, because what do you think? You know, they've been, you know, the bad guy the entire time, the enemy the entire time. And it's it's looking like now they might be the actual enemy of the deep state. Uh, and what, what do you think Russia's involvement is in all this involvement? Well, I'll give you some background. I, I was a Russian history major in college, and I went to Russia with my dad in 1990 to meet with Gorbachev, with Senator Dole and a, a Codel Senate mission, basically to tell him, please don't sell weapons to Saddam Hussein, we're going to invade. But they did anyway. Um, but I was in the Kremlin for that. Uh, so I, I know a lot about Russian history. Uh, a couple things. I'm going to be careful with my words because it's inflammatory. Uh, all war, I'm against all war, even though I'm a military historian, I, I, I'm against it. Uh, it's proxy mm-hmm. wars. It's, you know, the light versus the dark. It's, you know, but it, um, I didn't think Putin would invade. I was wrong. Um, I had told that uh, my military people, none of them thought they were going to actually do it. He did it. Um, There are old Soviet chemical bio labs there that I think that's been established as a fact. Soviets, they're no saints either. Mm -hmm, You know, we're all pretty bad at all that stuff. Um, I honestly don't know what's going on. Um, You know, I was wrong that he would invade. I mean, Putin... As some people say he's a clone. He's not the real Putin. You know, it, your head mm-hmm. gets to spinning as to what's really going on. I did. I did yeah. catch them using uh, old footage of Soviet military maneuvers, and you know, when CNN came on in the early days, I think they got nailed for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were using footage from video games and uh, the oh, video, yeah. yeah, all kinds. They, of- they do that to illustrate, but they should tell people that. But yeah. they, they do that to illustrate, which is not a bad way to do it, because sometimes you don't have the footage and, and a picture's worth a million words. Um, I, you know, it's very strange, some of the things going on. I, I, the movie Wag the Dog, I think, should be talked about in this context. But I do think they were fighting, obviously, uh, and the Ukrainians are suffering for it. But it, mm-hmm. it is Russia attacking Russia. Ukraine was never really part of the EU. No way they were going to be part of NATO. They just sort of kind of broke away in name only. And then, you know, prime minister was an actor and a comedian. I thought that was a little strange, but hey, Ronald Reagan. Um, Well, what about Russia's, what about Russia's like uh, involvement in the space programs and stuff like going going back to the fifties, you know, the saucer craze and all that stuff. Um, You know, we were always against Russia, the space race and all this stuff. Have you, what kind of information do you have or have you come across any information uh, like the Americans working with the Soviets back then? It wasn't actually a war. Yeah, apparently behind the scenes, we were working with them and the Cold War was just like a surface level show kind of thing. That's exactly, yes, that's that's exactly true. My dad said it, called me up. I was in college at uh, University of Virginia. He called me up one day. This is back before, before cell phones, obviously. And it was 1982 or three, and we got very close to nuclear war. A lot of people don't know that, but there mm-hmm. were severe tensions between East and West. And he said, 
you know, get ready. If I call you again, you get to the farm and you bring your friends with you because we might be in for an attack. And I said, are you serious? I thought we were cooperating with the Russians on the down low about you know, all the sensitive stuff. He's like, yes, but the, the generals and admirals on the surface don't know that. Mm. They're really fighting this Cold War. And so, you know, tensions eased. You can look up that history if you want, uh, but I'll never forget that. Yes, he, my dad told me that. I said, we've always been cooperating with the Russians because in, back to World War II, Lend-Lease, uh, we gave a lot of planes and equipment to the Russians' food. You know, thank God for spam. Um, hmm. But yeah. the Russians have a right to be angry at the, at the West. And World War I, the British and the French let the Russians become against the German army in the Eastern Front. World War II, even worse. And as J.P. Farrell, and I agree with him, uh, uh, I think some type of exotic, maybe atomic munitions were used on the Eastern Front. I mean, uh, one of my Russian historian colleagues uh, emailed me years ago and said, it's not 27 million, we think. We think it's more like 30 or 33 million. And mm. you can't kill that. Yes, disease and starvation. But you cannot kill that many people with bombs. And, and even the thermobaric coal dust Nebelwerfer rocket barrages the Germans had. And the Russians had them, too. You kill a lot. They're like tactical nukes. But come on. Uh, there's a story that up in near Latvia, the, the Germans let off an atomic a device in October of 44. I can't get any information other than some, the person that told it to me was somewhat reliable. There is, I have it in my notes somewhere. There's, I mean, you just can't kill that many people. So the Russians have a right to be angry. They took the brunt of World War II casualties. Oh yeah. And I write about it. The book I'm writing now is another sequel. And I, I talk about the Gustav gun. And the Gustav gun was the biggest railway gun in the world. It doesn't really make sense. They, they say they built it for the Maginot line. Yeah, but it took like five years to build and untold millions of Reichsmarks. Hmm. And it's like, hmm, you know, they say they lobbed a shell on in the Crimea on Sebastopol to a Russian a ammunition bunker that had hmm. the biggest explosion of World War II. Hmm. Fast forward to Yemen. Uh, a CIA friend said, Look at this video. This is years ago. Look at this video on Yemen. That is not an ammunition bunker. That is a tactical nuke. And you can look up some of these videos. Massive explosions. And you see this trickling of light and sparkles like fireworks. And he says, that's the electromagnetic signature left over. And he says, we have tactical nukes now where the radiation signature dissolves in 48 to 72 hours. So it's not a useless weapon anymore. Um, these tactical nukes are, are I think, in my so, opinion, so, they're used. And they have been used since World War II. You know, it's interesting. You said October 44, there was apparently an, a, an atomic bomb. Apparently, That's a story. Yeah, I don't have any proof. But I find it interesting because uh, I think of this date, 1945, that these people in the programs, the secret space program, are told that the Earth was destroyed by a cobalt bomb in 1945, and, and they can no longer return. They can never, long, long, no longer go back. And I think it's an interesting year that they chose. And that's the closest I've heard of an actual explosion, you know, to that date. Um, 
I don't know. I just just connecting some dots here. Just, oh, well, forty five is also the end of World War Two. Right. It's so. the end of the end of the World War. II. Like, why did they choose that day exactly? Yeah. That's interesting. Well, you know, like Philip K. Dick, you can talk about alternative timelines. The Man in the High Castle. Mm-hmm. Probably true that a time there was a timeline when that did happen, and there was yeah, maybe one where the Germans and Japanese did win the war. Of course, the Nazis never lost. They never signed off when they. Yeah, they all went to Antarctica or the United States or Argentina. They infiltrated the the United States and oh, yeah. behind the scenes. Yeah, well, trust me, my grandfather worked with some of those guys. Uh, exactly. So he knew. Uh, he knew they lose? of Bell Helicopter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and others. You know, through the Project Paperclip. I mean, my grandfather said he knew Von Braun and Kirk Davis. Um, and I was, they were American heroes to me growing up. We were all, they were all like, oh, Bob Brown, the moon race. I was so proud. You know, now I'm like, shit. You know, the whole place was full of Nazis. Was it you that was saying how Operation Paperclip, the re- how it got its name, was they literally just paperclipped a new identity on top of the old form because uh, Truman had made it illegal for Nazis to enter the U.S. So they had yeah, to. That, that's just boilerplate stuff. Right, right. But I think I've, I've heard you talk about that before. But if you look on, if you do some research on big banks and corporations in the 50s, there's always a, you know, a Reinhard Schmidt, you know, on the board. And it's like, Reinhard Schmidt? Who the hell's that? You know, that's not his real name, but, you know, they, they demanded, the story is, they demanded. You know, after the 1952 overflight of D.C., which people mm-hmm. still see, Everyone's like, oh, I don't believe in UFOs. I'm like, Christ, look up the headline from 1952. That's, that's like a document. It's a documented, verifiable yeah. Yeah, event. More than happened. likely, that was German, the Germans saying, yeah. hey, hey, hi, you know, Guten Tag, you know. Yeah. And they said, we want to be on boards. You know, we want to be in corporations. We want to be everywhere. And of course, we were yeah. like, you know, let's share technology. Absolutely. You know, why not? Now, there were a lot of Americans who were very angry at that. I'll tell you a story I I found out. In Huntsville, Alabama, a lot of the Germans settled there. Uh, Back in the 50s, you know, when NASA was started, you know, Huntsville was a very racist place. I'm sorry. uh, Oh, yeah. It was. And the Germans liked that. So that's number one. Always remember why Houston in the South, there's some, you know, trigonometry with rockets and other things, you know, the azimuth, you know, being further south on Cape Canaveral. But still, uh, they were much more comfortable in the Jim Crow South, the Germans. But at the Huntsville NASA facility, a guy told me this years ago. Uh, I was in a car club. I have an old Mercedes from 1969. He's like, he's like, you know, all the top Germans drove S-class Mercedes on a standard NASA military salary. Well, all the Americans were pissed off. This was the Martin Borman Schluss Fund, no doubt. You know, uh, and they they had big houses in Huntsville and they had Mercedes and all this stuff. They never wanted for anything. And it's because of that. I thought that was story. He's like, you can see all the Chevrolets and Fords in the NASA parking lot. And then there's a row of Mercedes all parked together in a special spot. That was kind of funny. Right. Yeah, it's funny. You mentioned NASA, you know, how you said that the generals and the, and the admirals in the Cold War didn't know that it, they, they weren't some really, didn't. some didn't. But very few. Yeah, but that's didn't. also how NASA operates. Those NASA scientists don't understand yep. that they're not working at the, on the cream of the crop, you know. 
It's all compartmentalized. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You need to know. NASA's always been military. It was never a civilian organization. If you look at their bylaws and everything, you think to prove it. They they presented yeah. it on TV as if it was, mm-hmm. but it was. It's a it's a defense organization, right, or something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it comes under national security uh, protocols. Uh, lickety split. Yeah. So uh, what do you what do you think is going on with SpaceX? You know, there's a lot of controversy there, but. I got a lot of I got a lot of hate on Twitter when I would do my memes on Elon Musk. Uh, <laughs> I don't trust the guy. Uh, number one, he is Afrikaner German origin. Oh, really? I'm not saying all Afrikaner Germans are racist or whatever, you know, but they don't have the greatest human rights record. And uh, there are rumors that AIDS and Ebola were bioweapons that were let out to decimate uh, African populations. I don't know if that's true, but it sure does make sense. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of ex-Nazis did go down to South Africa after the war. That's proven. I'm not saying Elon Musk is a Nazi. A lot of people think he's this new age guy who's a genius, uh, who created PayPal. And then now all of a sudden his amazing chemical rockets are going to mine space and make everything wonderful. (laughs) And I'm like, we're already in yeah, the space mining We're already in space. Four yeah. years ago. You can't do that with chemical rockets. No. Everyone's like, oh, no, it can land itself. And I'm like, that looks like CG to me. It I is. Got a, I got a lot it of is. flack for that. Well, some of those I videos, some of those videos, I swear, were CGI. The, when the rocket, rocket's landing back on the pad, oh. 100%. I'm like, who's falling for this? Like, I've seen yeah. video games look better than this. Right. Uh, but people love him. Because he's seen as a Messiah savior. I, I assure you, um, I'm not saying he's all dark. I think he's a very complex man. Yes, he's very smart. Uh, but I find, you know, these, you know, the Facebook kid and other, you know, these geniuses that come out of nowhere and all of a sudden they're running, you know, trillion dollar companies. I find that problematic. They seem like puppets to me. Yeah, they, seem, they, they seem like, they just seem like individuals. controlled puppets. Yeah. Yeah. Some people say they're bio robots. You know, uh, I mean, maybe, could, maybe. it's possible. Maybe. Yeah. You know, I, I wouldn't you be know, surprised. They, you know, a lot of people don't understand. I, I'm sorry to take a lot of tangents, but uh, World War II is my thing. Mm-hmm. I've recently found out, um, you know, Mengele was this guy. I think he read, Mengele must have read The Island of Dr. Moreau by H.G. Wells probably a hundred times because, you know, he was involved in the worst experiments in in the Nazi death camps. But there's a story going around that he and others invented a retrovirus. Now, I'm writing this in my new book, and it's a very horrifying story, so I apologize to everyone, but I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The story goes, and I I tend to believe it because the Nazis obviously were brutal, Mm -hmm. just you know, unconscionable, and uh, that they had a program going back to the 34, I think, where they would impregnate mothers with this special retrovirus, but then beat them regularly. And I mean, beat the shit out of them. And what they found was when the baby was born and grew three, four, five years old, that young man, or I I don't think there was a lot of women, but there may be some, was very tough uh, child. It was it was almost feral, but it, it, you know, in conjunction with this mysterious retrovirus, which I think was modifying DNA, even back then, yeah. they were experimenting and trying an improved Aryan soldier. 
Now, I've, I've found some references to this in, in certain books and things, but given what I know about the Nazis and what they're really up to in the occult, it would not surprise me if the story's true. And I'm writing it that way. Yeah. Uh, it's a horrible story to think about these poor mothers. There were a lot of child deaths and mothers dying to do this brutal, you know, almost Neanderthal type thing to make a very tough child. Um, yeah, it's just pure psychopath. Mengele, pure... I mean, Mengele is just, you know, and he, he had a, uh, apparently yeah. he had a, a laboratory in Paraguay before the war because the Nazis have been down in South America a lot. San Carlos de Bariloche, you know, that there were uh, settlers in the 19th century in the wheat, the sheep, cattle uh, down in that part of Argentina in the mountains. And when the Germans move to a new land, they take their culture with them. They don't really assimilate. Uh, no. Correct me if I'm wrong out there, but uh, if you go down to San Carlos de Bariloche, it looks like Munich and they speak German, <laughs> not Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, Yep. And of course, there's all kinds of stories about that, you know, Project Paperclip and presidents going down there and uh, Hitler being buried not too far away if he made it there. Are you, you familiar know? with the movie Boys from Brazil? Yeah, it's a very good movie. Well, I, I mean, who was it? George Green. Uh, he was on Carrie Cassidy, uh, Project Camelot. And he he claims that that movie is direct disclosure of the cloning operation that was going on at that time. And you know, I, I, I think there's something to that. I, it, it, whatever the experiment really was, whether they're using Adolf Hitler's, uh, you have to remember Adolf Hitler, from everything I've known about him, I must have read 50 books on the guy. Um, people say, oh, he wasn't that smart. No, he was pretty smart. He wasn't a coward. He won the Iron Cross in the trenches. He was gassed. And then he had a hysterical blindness and other things. The Tula Society, I wrote this into my book, Lion, Tiger, Bear. I don't know if it's true, but it's a possibility. The rumor is that his illegitimate father was Kaiser Wilhelm II. Now, royalty throughout the, the era, that's common to have out of wedlock children. And sometimes they would care for them. Uh, if that's true, you know, a lot of people say he looks like his father, Alois uh, Hitler, but he does. But anyway, uh, the Vril Society... You know, this is a very, very old, it goes back to the Lords of the Black Stone, you know, the, the Black Sun Societies, all these things in the 19th century coming up to the, it's nothing new. Mm. Everyone thinks, oh, it was a new thing. No, it wasn't. No. They well, wouldn't have chosen this guy had he not had some interesting bloodlines, whatever they were, royal or otherwise. Yeah. But I wrote it that, that that's a possibility, you know, um, why they chose him. And of course, he wasn't an idiot. Uh, he was a psychopath, but he wasn't an idiot. A lot of psychopaths are, have to have a high IQ quotient. They're very Mengele, intelligent. Yeah. yeah. Mengele was a genius, mm. mad genius. But zero but, empathy. Right. Now zero we're getting into duality and yeah. good and evil, and it's all relative and gray. And a very effed up uh, morality system <laughs> where they think basically my, it's like might equals right. You know, well, like if, if I can do whatever I want, then that makes it okay. That's kind of like, a yeah, that's like psychopaths, you know, yeah, it, think. psychopath, is do you, word, you know, do you, what do you know about uh, Carl yeah, Haushofer? Do you know anything about Carl Haushofer? The, oh, the, yeah. I've, I've drilled down in my books about the Nazi occult. Haushofer was a heroin addict. Um, he was unreliable, but that doesn't mean he didn't know his shit. 
Um, Haushofer was very well versed in the occult. Uh, so was Rudolf Hess. And you can read that in well, the other book. Was he not the one who groomed Hitler? Um, according to what I've read, he was kind of given a task to groom Hitler into his position um, after a trip he had made to Tibet and spent some time with the uh, at the Tibetan monastery, the, the Green Dragon Society or something like that. Yeah, there, there is a story that he did. I remember, Rudolf Hess was born in Alexandria, Egypt. He grew up with mystics. He was a very much of a, a mystic himself. He was a romantic. Uh, and uh, he certainly admired Hitler. And I, I, I think personally, the Vril Society and the Tula Society, they said, groom this guy for us. He's rough around the edges, but he's, he's no dummy. He speaks well. Uh, and Hess, by all accounts, uh, some accounts, there's a book called The Pink Triangle that asserts that a lot of the Nazi high command were gay. Certainly Ernst Rome with the SA, the brown shirts, was gay. His idea was the sacred band of Thebes from Greece. You know, get gay lovers to fight for you and they'll fight, you know, which did happen in history. When the Nazis kind of had a, a portion of that twisted uh, military uh, homosexual uh, ethos. Um, but besides that, uh, I think Rudolf Hess was, you know, he was a co-author of Mein Kampf, uh, pretty, pretty rigid book. If I got through it once, but hmm. I think it, it took a year off my life. Yeah. <laughs> but Haushofer, uh, Hess, Himmler, these people were very, ver very well versed in the occult. Right. Everyone says, oh, Hitler wasn't in the occult. That's a fucking lie. That uh, is the lie. Himmler, Hess. Haushofer and Hitler and other Nazi high commands were vegetarians. Why? Do you guys know? They were, they understood, well, they understood about vibrations and, for, well, go ahead. I'll let no, you. Okay. Uh, there's a book called The Coming Race. <laughs> yeah. Right. 100%. Lord 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 they took that seriously. Now there are stories that they went down to uh, Agartha and whatnot. And I write about that in, in my books. But um, the higher vibrational people only ate plants. Now, I find it curious that none of them, you know, Haushofer took heroin, but he didn't drink alcohol because that lowers your vibration. Evil spirits. Some mm -hmm. say it creates a portal in your pineal gland if you drink to, when you black out. And certainly everyone does stupid things and they can't remember. So that's where yeah, you win a bar bet on that one. <laughs> right. Evil spirits. That's where we get the name spirits from. Sure. Yeah, they were all they were all vegetarians. They didn't drink, and uh, Himmler did some other. Uh, it, it's amazing what they did. And it's like why pork, beer. You know, this was this yeah. German staples. Yeah, they were the Nazis were very into the occult. Their their symbol, the yeah, swastika, yeah. is an occult symbol. It's a very ancient yeah. symbol. And uh, so what they did was they banned the occult anything on the surface level for everyone else. Because they didn't want anyone else to have this knowledge, right? Because it creates a power. It creates a power. They closed all the Masonic halls in the 30s. Mm -hmm. the they closed everything. They banned it. Yep. And they weren't and they, in power, but they had the horsepower to do. You know, well, they were in power in 33, and so they closed all that stuff down. They had the Atlantis Society in Berlin. The building still survives. You can see it. The the SS were obsessed with Atlantis lore. Yep. Guess who else was? I guess the U.S. Navy. So, you know, this stuff it starts to get, you know, they probably learned it 
you know, the, the Navy had good spies in Germany all through the 30s. Yeah. William well, Tompkins writes about that, and it's true. Um, so everyone has, you know, this twisted version of, of what the Nazis were into. Uh, the I write about the Honor Nerebe SS. I, I write about Edmund Gear and Ernst Schaefer, their characters in my books. And, they, you know, they're not saints or anything, but, you know, a lot of the Honor Nerebe, like Bruno Baeger, he wanted, he had Jewish prisoners killed at, at, at Auschwitz so you could have a museum of skeletons. Here's the Aryan supermen. Here are the inferior, you know, homosexuals, Jews, and Russians. I mean, it's sick. But, you know, a lot of this stuff, just because they were psychopaths, doesn't mean a lot of it wasn't true. But well, the history is the history books have told us, oh no, they were all crazy. Well, no, part, they weren't. Part of the reason I think they were vegan or they didn't eat meat and didn't drink is because they they were trying to connect with ETs, communicate with other races, and they understood that that mm -hmm. you couldn't do that unless you could uh, get as close to you as you could to matching their vibration. And they would, it would, right. be, it makes it easier for the other being to communicate with you. If you're at a higher vibration, right. you're matching frequencies. Right. And so it, let's just say for giggles, you know, regressives, Aldebarons or and whatever, we're meeting with the Nazis, which I write. I believe that. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, call me crazy, but it doesn't matter what your polarity is, but frequency in, in everything in the cosmos is important and balance between that is doubly important. And everything is about balancing of frequencies and you know, vibration frequency. Right. Uh, so they knew, they understood that. And, you know, the, the swastika is interesting. A lot of people get this wrong when it was the Boy Scouts used to have it and the Native Americans always had it, but the Nazis reversed it. Yeah, they did. Yep. Now, the swastika has a million meanings, good fortune and everything, but the Nazis knew, and Haushofer knew this, and Hess knew it, I know that. It also is this torsion spiral twisting of the universe and the cosmos, galaxies, mm -hmm. everything spins, everything spins yep. in the solar system. It's all torsion. Yep. So they knew it meant that as well, and it also meant, it, they thought it meant inevitable victory. So when you reverse that symbol, that was a powerful gesture. Everyone's like, oh, they got it wrong. They reversed it. No, they knew exactly what they were doing. When they, yep. I think the Vril Society picked it for them, I think. Well, right. And they take those, they reverse it, or some people say hijack a lot of those benevolent symbols. A lot of things that were taught now that are uh, like, like are superstitious or bad, like the number 13 or 666, like even like taking that. Like 13, mm -hmm. if you go back and read, I don't know where you would find any literature on it, but you can do some research. And it's actually a very positive number. It means good luck, but they've, they've reversed that. And the, the, pen, the pentagram, the upside down pentagram, yeah. it's supposed to be right side up as a positive symbol. And, and they, they invert it to upside down. And then that becomes the satanic. And that's what the, uh, the cabal uses that. And yeah. It's like they invert everything. So it, it becomes negative rather than a positive. Yeah, it's energy is energy. Symbols are neutral, yeah. just like yeah, energy. Exactly. You well, use it for what you will. But you know, and Jordan Maxwell uh, does a great job at, at pe yeah. piecing together symbolism throughout time itself, and how yeah. you know my favorite is the circle with a cross in it, which was the ancient in, in its ancient form meant peace. Yeah, you see that carved on rocks with a spiral. They, they flip it upside down. Spiral, I think, denotes. Hey, this is a portal. You know, here's the frequency. 
have at it, you know, have fun. And you see that all through the Southwest at Newgrange in Ireland, you know, always the spiral, the Celtic spiral. And all these were pretty much universal in the, out in the universe symbols. Mm-hmm. Because apparently ETs, when telepathy is used to communicate, it's nothing but holographic representations of symbols. Yeah. And imagine yeah. what a swastika symbol used in context with others, how much information you could put out in you know one millionth of a second. Yeah. Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly. where they carved them on rocks. Everyone looked at it. Okay. It's like a McDonald's menu. Oh, oh yeah. Big <laughs> bang. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We're going into this portal and we'll do some astral traveling and, you know, well, we'll that's just, mushroom. that's just it. They understood the power of these symbols and they, they understood how to utilize them. And that's like what I was saying, six, 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 that reduces down to nine, which is a completion number. And, it can be used in rituals and ceremonies as a completion. Now, what are they trying to complete? That's, that's the big question. And I, I find that very interesting. Hmm. I mean, uh, symbols are fascinating. I, I, I tried my best at symbology. It's, it's very complicated um, and it's interpretational, of course, and they have multiple meanings, which doesn't make anything easier. But um, I think symbols are important. We're not taught, you know, we're taught, you know, the Christian cross, that's a pre-Diluvian symbol for reincarnation, resurrection. Yep. It doesn't have anything to do with Christianity. They co-opted it out of Mithraism, which was popular in ancient Rome. Funny, Mr. Mithra had 12 disciples too. Hmm. Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. Yeah, look at Mithra, Mithraism. They never, I went to a church school up here at the National Cathedral. Never mentioned it. You know, we had to study the Bible and, and actually... Christian history was very interesting because I'm like, wait a minute, papal armies? The Pope had his armies? What's going on with you know the Medicis and everything? And they were like, uh, we're going to skip over that chapter. Yeah. Don't like, don't worry about that. They're hiding something. Right. No, oh, and, yeah. Hidden history. Everything is. I mean, that's what everything we've everything just, is. Yeah. I mean, the textbook history that we get is the, the indoctrinated version of their reality. You know, they want you know, we, we talk about this all the time, but just by this discussion, like discussion, every topic we want to go back to, whatever we decide to talk about, we can all pretty much agree that the, the mainstream story is bogus. And no matter what, no matter what, because they started off on the wrong foot. I mean, we were, we were never, it's never been what we've thought it was. And that's, you know, that's what we're coming to realize Mm now. Yeah. You know, what's interesting. Um, because I'm a historian, I, I collect history books, not a lot, but um, if you, I got one off of, I think eBay years ago. Um, it's an 1855 book on American and European history. And I believe it was for either high school or college. Anyway, it's six inches thick. Now, if you look at a, at a, at a high school, you know, 12th grade or whatever history book, it's one third the size. Yeah. Right. You know, it's stuff like that that gives you great pause. And colleges are getting rid of their, you know, act, you know, music and arts programs and everything. They want everyone hive-minded and ignorant and stupid and towing the, the party line, which is the matrix line. You know, yeah. you only yeah, need yeah, to know yeah. this. Go work in a cubicle on a computer and, you know, punch a clock as a debt slave. And yeah, so it's, exactly. it's obvious. And uh, mm-hmm. but people say, oh, no, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to 
do this and that. And uh, they have a clever way of funneling students into yep. certain careers. You know, and they create the careers that make all the money are the ones that serve the system the best. Right. And you wonder why hmm, I wonder if finance economics, or you go in the military, which I almost did. Uh, but I was, I was like, no, I'm, not, I'm not good with authority. So I didn't, but, yeah. uh, and then, and then they, they send you to, uh, you know, it's either finance that or, uh, politics, which is nonsense. It's just distilled judgment. You know, even my dad was like, oh, they're all bought and paid for. Right. <laughs> you know? I mean, exactly. he was fairly honest as a politician, but he, he told me interesting things. He said, you know, they're all bought and paid for. And he said, to get elected, you have to lie. There's yeah. no yeah. way for anyone to get elected to Congress in this country or president mm -hmm. without lying. The people will not, they cannot take if you tell the truth. Because I said, well, I'm going to run for Senate in Virginia and I'm going to tell the truth. He's like, you'll be gone in the first round. Yeah. <laughs> the system won't let you. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and he was a very successful politician. He was able to befriend and he, he tried to do a lot of good things for the state of Virginia, but he still towed the status quo line. And, mm. uh, but I learned a lot from him just by osmosis. Yeah. You know, this is what I don't want to be. Sure. Is yeah. What I learned from him. Yeah. I don't want to be a military officer. And, you know, because it's my personal belief that if you become a military officer, I don't care what branch you sign a pile of documents somewhere there's a code number and that code number it's your responsibility to look it up which i doubt you can even find it uh but says hey national security you know if you work in sensitive programs and you tattletale after you're out of the service and you're at the bar drinking beer we have the right to hang you and so this is why a lot of these admirals over the years you know one one friend of my dad um he said, I said, you know, what can you tell me about the Navy secret technology, blah, blah, blah. He's like, he's like, I can't tell you because I take my national security of secret, you know, seriously. But maybe you should read this book. <laughs> so, you know, he would write down five books and I'm like, you in the right direction. Right, you know? yeah. And basically saying, you're going to find a lot of the truth here. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was my life. I've always been in sort of in the room, you know, I, I look around. I'm like, God, I was everywhere with this, with this stuff. Um, I remember my dad and Jimmy Carter, they weren't real good friends, but Jimmy Carter, most people don't realize he ran on a platform in 1976 on ending UFO secrecy. He had seen two of them. Yeah. You know, but people forget this history. It's not, it's not told to us. And the nope. current crop of, of the disclosure movement, they don't look back and they piece together things in a historical context they come right out of the box and say oh my god you know the, you know, the wasatch mountains were building navy and oh by the way there's a million kids in there with no context and uh, by the way there's you know nazis that have been age regressed but there's no historical context to put that in yeah i came to this very slowly i was always my mother gave me ufo books and magazines to read she never believed in the moon landing um i think we went there we just weren't alone obviously yeah i agree with that yeah but you know some of the later missions apollo 12 eh, well, why do we, why did we just working overtime in london the, the, the big question is you know everyone's caught up on whether the 
the moon landing was fake or not. But the better question is, why did we just suddenly stop going to the moon for no reason? Well, we didn't. <laughs> well, we didn't. Exa- publicly, why Why did they? Oh, we just, yeah, well, we were, just uh, we're done with that. Yeah, Skylab, the space shuttle. Space shuttle was a piece of shit. Hell, yeah. I'm not even a rocket scientist. You know, I understand cars and engineering and ships. And I said, this is the, first of all, it's ugly. I, I was there. <laughs> uh, my dad took me to the USS Enterprise unveiling and all the Star Trek people came in the seventies out of Dulles airport. I was there with him and mm-hmm. I said, this is the ugliest fucking thing, spaceship. And they, they all the start, you know, William Shatner, everywhere. They were like, Oh my God, it's so ugly. Where's the real enterprise? Well, little do they know we were building real enterprises somewhere else, you know, and this was the public face of our technology and it was shit. Right. Now, and yeah. I'm, did the Germans blow up one? Did the O-rings go? I, you know, I don't know. But it was a, you were spam in the can. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's sad. I feel so sorry for the people who died in those rigs. You know, the military stuff, people die all the time in training. But I well, mean, that that's the sad part. Is is exa- I think about that when you're watching like NASA footage of of everybody at like Houston or Mission Control or something, and they're all like celebrating and crying because a, a rover landed on Mars, and they're like tears pouring down their face, and and it's I, if if because they believe that they were really work, you know, this is all real, and yeah. I feel bad for these people. I'm like, if you only they knew, they have yeah. no idea at all. It's all compartmentalized. I'm sorry if you can't crack a book or two or watch a video or two i'm sorry i don't i don't feel sorry for them at all yeah i understand people are understandably ignorant and ill-informed uh, by and large in society it's it's, it's an agenda yeah mm-hmm. but my god there's so much shit out there but no one goes there because they think oh it's the fringe yeah but that's yeah. changing. it's changing slowly but um there's going to come a time i think in 15 years within 15 years where people are going to start catching big lies that the you know the US government and the media are telling us and they're like wait a minute maybe we should go listen to those guys on journey to truth you know i think they're they've got a point or you know and everyone else yeah. uh there's going to be this consciousness shift it's coming slowly uh 35 years ago there was no one i was you know people that had never heard of stephen greer or anybody now and now i have friends who at least since 2017 they say well you know, it's interesting. I, I was watching you and Stephen Greer. I have to find that interesting. And I'm like, oh, my God, the, the, the skies are falling. Yeah. <laughs> when, did you, when did you get a clue? You know, I'm sorry. You know. Right. Well, and, and a lot. Of, and it's good, though, because people are opening their minds up to it. And we're getting to a point where it's not a laughable topic anymore. And that's partially because of this UAP disclosure yeah. narrative. No, I told not, Chris that. I yeah. said, you and Elizondo have, have done us a solid. You've opened the conversation, which was dead. Yeah. It's you, not a laughing CNN stock was, matter anymore. Yeah. News agencies yeah. were told to give the UFO subject the giggle factor. Yeah. That's a quote. And that's what they use. You know, and they get beautiful women up there with the halo effect, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, and going, oh, you know, <laughs> you know, ha, ha, ha. I mean, I have a, I have a, a friend uh, who has a show on Fox. Uh, uh, what's her name? Um, oh, God. Anyway, she does that program. That she gave Stephen Greer two minutes. Two minutes. And then she That's cut huge. him off. So oh. Why did they even bother? Oh, hey, yeah. <laughs> just um, a Laura, Ingram, Laura, Laura Ingram. 
I, I knew her well. Yeah, Ingram, yeah. Yeah. Just and so Laura's a nice person, but you know, at least they had Greer on. I'll give him that. But yeah, you know, yeah. everyone's like, oh, Hannity's on our side. And then what is it, Tucker Carlson? Yeah, and I'm like, yeah. no. I've been around DC no. all my life. You know, these people, if they're given this much, you know, they'll run with that and they won't expand on it at all. And Tucker Carlson's has Chris Mellon on and Lou Elizondo. Oh, hey, you guys are heroes. <laughs> well, For what? They, they Lying to the American people? misdirecting this topic right they will we will never get disclosure from the military well, or the u.s government well no, that shows okay. you those people there it's all part of the same system when yeah. when when uh lou alizondo and chris mellon and these these so-called you know disclosure people that are telling the truth are get all the mainstream coverage that's all the mainstream wants to cover and talk about what does that tell you? They're all, they're a part of the system or they're being, or they're being used maybe unwittingly, but they're being used by the system yeah. for an agenda. It's all pretty you know, obvious. Your audience knows all this stuff, but yeah, you know, it's, it's like when I go back and I, 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 I've seen things talked about over the years, you know, they're doing the same old thing. Now they're just doing more of it. Yeah. UAP task force, UAP office. That's a joke. That's where all the dead letters go on Capitol Hill. Oh, my God, emails and dead letters. People still write letters. And um, they're like, oh, my God, I saw a disc and the greys abducted my dog, you know. And, and, and it's like, oh, that's very interesting. And they throw it into the, the, the pit. If they even and read it. These things, it, yeah. Project Blue Book, these things have been around, these tactics. But they're mm -hmm. running out of ideas and they're running out of time. Yep. And well, the reason I know that is because they wouldn't have a melon come out there talking about this bullshit if they weren't getting internal pressure. Now, I don't know who it is. The, the deep safe, the military, and the Pentagon are full of factions. They always have been, UFOs or otherwise. You know, but somebody's saying, get out there and do a dog and pony show and play it up good this time. Get a band, get a, a stage, you know, get, get clowns and, oh, my God, you know. Yeah. Well, my fear is just keep doing it so people will know that we're on top of things, you know, and we're not. We're well, still not. Right. My theory is that so these people aren't going to blackmail themselves. They all blood on their hands. They're not going to come on and say, yeah. oh, we've been lying to you. We've had this technology the whole time. They're not going to do it. So with exactly. this with this new report, which was a nothing burger that, you know, they even had the audacity to put a weather balloon in there again. But <laughs> and they, they said that, uh, you know, the. I forgot how they worded it, but it was basically nothing. It was they were saying it was still inconclusive, whatever. But why are they doing this? Because when it does come out, they they want their hands, they want they're free of it, you know, and they're gonna start pointing fingers at Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Northrop, mm -hmm. all these aerospace industries, and they're gonna say it's their black budget programs that was doing this stuff and not the military. That's what I think is going on. They yep. Some of them might, but remember, all those corporations, they own all the congressmen and senators. Yeah. They own them. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it's tied together. He sided himself with the Navy and Marines so no one would fuck with him. But dealing with the Navy and Marines is still dealing with Lockheed Martin and Boeing and McDonnell Douglas and, and you know, all the military contractors. But, you know, so he was smart enough to do that. But other, you know, I met a woman who's running for Congress and she, Oh, my God. This is years ago, but um, she spent 25 million of her husband's money. And then they got divorced, obviously. 
and didn't make it to Senate or Congress. I can't remember which one it was. And I said, why'd you do that? And she's like, oh, I, I'm, I've got the fire in the belly. I really want to change things. And I said, you're not going to change anything. Nothing sensitive. And she's like, oh, no. I'll, you know, I said, what about UFOs? And oh, I'll get all that. I'll tackle all that. And I said, with respect, <laughs> you won't. Because they'll put the kibosh on you, even if you make it to being a senator yeah. or congresswoman. Uh, they will not let you talk about that. She she was so utterly naive. She was in her 40s. Mm-hmm. I said, my dad's a senator. You know who my dad is. And I'm telling you the truth. You're not going to change jack shit. Sure, you can get a road built in, in Buckwheat County, you know, Fuckville. <laughs> nothing else. Our schools and roads and bridges fall apart because the money's going to the deep state and all the military stuff. Uh, you know, and Chris Mellon is out there yelling threat, threat, threat. UAP um, threat. Tic Tac threat. And there's a and this great is, truth to that yeah, because yeah. they want plausible deniability. Yep. It's, it's exactly. insidious. I, I, I sent them a message. I probably didn't get it. And I said, that's, it's a that's whole, low, man. You're low. It's a whole control system that's yeah. very compartmentalized. And the real stuff and the real power goes on in these black things that are like very, very hidden and very secretive and very controlled and everything's compartmentalized and need to know. So what we see, the politicians we see on the surface level are basically all puppets and they don't really have any real power, essentially. Um, and they're kept in the not, dark. Not in the, the most, yeah, it's the sensitive power, stuff. Yeah. Not not the big stuff, not the big. Yeah. And this is what I this is one of the things I do like that Stephen Greer talks about is that he exposes that with a lot of his, his info and documentaries like these, um, what do you call special access project, unacknowledged special access projects. And where he talks about, he exposes how like presidents, we think we, you know, the, um, the kind of uh, mindset most people have is that the president has all this power and they're in charge of everything. No, and that's, that's not true at all, at all. They're, they're they really have managers. They're, yeah, they're, they're way down the food chain. Yeah. 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 Stephen Greer has this quote, and he got it from, a, I think, a senator. And, it, and it's true. They are presidents are transient custodians of the status quo. Exactly. Nothing more. And that's, you know, I believe the story when Obama was put in office that Bush Sr. went in there and said, you know, you listen to me, you, you blah, blah, blah. Yeah. man of color. <laughs> this is how the, the real world works. I believe that. And his secretary of state, Susan Rice, is a high school friend of mine. And I talked about it with Susan, but she's a straight shooter on, on that. She does not delve into this kind of stuff. Uh, but well, where, they don't want people that think like us. They, they, no, they don't yeah. want, we're, no, we're loose cannons. There's an old Joe Rogan comedy skit from uh, Stand Up from 2005 where he talks about, you know, uh, voting for a president is like rooting for pro wrestling you know they want you to think that you have yeah. some sort of say in it but uh you know really and then and then it's like they oh, intentionally put a dumb guy in charge to so to see to find out how dumb the population is you know almost as a as a joke for them to be like look we can even put somebody this dumb as the president and people will still think yeah it's real and yeah. you know still well, and that reminds me on now i know the second thing that's I want to talk about that's unpopular with some people, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I've been very close to politics all my life. Uh, no offense to the Trump folks, 
and the QAnon folks. I, I don't mean offense to anyone, but they're putting all their eggs in one basket with Donald Trump. And I'm like, holy shit, no way. He's not uh, a savior. Yeah. When I was looking at the QAnon stuff, my military friends said, those are genuine actionable codes. But the stuff they're talking about with 107, and I, I love Carrie Cassidy, but damn it, she, she's on this JFK Jr.'s Jet live Jones. thing. Right. I, hope, I hope the guy's alive. He I, might I be. Knew him when I was young, my sister knew him very well. That's not him. My sister and her friends yeah. knew JFK Jr. extremely well. This guy complaining 107. 107. JFK Jr. was not religious. Religion is part of our control system worldwide problem. That's a Amen. Thing. Thank you. I don't you. know why Kerry Cassidy would support this guy if he's saying, oh, prophecies and God, and you know we're going to liberate children, and uh, yeah. God's will. And, and I'm like, that's a huge red flag. I don't steer anybody. Don't bring religion into this fucking mess. That's yeah. what got us into this mess in the first fucking place. Thank I don't you. Steer, no, you're good. I don't steer anybody towards 107. Um, it's, for, it's, it's a psyop. I, I, Penny it, Bradley yeah. said it to me years ago. I mean, it's obvious. Now, I'm not saying Trump's a bad guy. Come on. He worked with a mob getting all his buildings built in New York. <laughs> My sister knew the guy. You know, you know it's. This guy knows the deep state, how it works. Yes, I'm sure he's done some good things, some positive things, but he is not this savior messiah that people say he is. No, I don't think I he's think... going to run with JFK Jr., even if the guy still is alive. I mean, I, I hope he's still alive. Nice guy. I, I'm starting he to think. He wasn't the smartest um, tool in the shed either. No, I'm no. starting. And especially when he's like pushing, pushing the jab and certain things like that, that are like, no, that's, that's okay, what's that about? What the hell? Yeah, you know, I mean, critical thinking. I within think he the disclosure was more... field, you know, and there's lack of critical thinking. It's like you need to piece all this stuff together, mm -hmm. and there's there's only a few of us that do. And it, I say that with sadness. I'm not well, trying to be an asshole, but it's like the disclosure movement is completely at odds, infighting, and just dysfunctional. It's like when the when the general public starts to turn to everyone in the disclosure movement, it's going to be a shit show. Because no one can agree on fucking anything. There's right. so many different That's narratives. That's a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, this is a Divide good, and conquer. Divide and conquer. This Do is a good point to this is a good point to bring up because uh while Trump was still president, we were always talking about Q and Trump and we were, you know, we supported him and we we were all, you know, Trump. But now as things are playing out, you know, we've backed away from that and we're not so gung ho about that. And it's been a you know, it's we're it's a learning process for all of us. But I agree with you. I don't think like at this point, I mean, yeah, of course, if he's the better option right now, if if then you know, then yeah. this then this thing yeah. we have in office, yes, he is, he is, but he's the better option. But I don't think, like you said, don't put all your eggs in one basket with him because, I'm, on some level, I'm sure he's he he's a puppet also. You know, he's not. Or well, what what I think if the alliance is real and they because there there was certain intel that said the alliance recruited Trump to be, you know, the guy to run against Hillary and, and they're going to make sure she doesn't win with the manipulation and blah, blah, blah. I, but I, if that's true, I think he was mostly just like a placeholder. So they knew they couldn't have a deep state person like Hillary, of course, in the White Please House no. and in power. So they needed somebody as a placeholder while they can do the real operations behind the scenes and, and well, start cleaning stuff up. That's what Daryl James said. He said that Trump mm -hmm. was... Trump was That's there was. just to stay out of their way. 
Yes. Trump exactly. was, he was there so they could have somebody in, in that place deep state to stay out that. of their way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he technically he is part of the deep state, but you know, this is the problem. Everyone thinks it's a black and white alliance versus deep state. And I'm like, no, uh, no, that's not the traditional way. Uh, all this stuff has been going on since World War II. It's, it's factions fighting factions and maybe cooperation on some things. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Trump and his military, you know, the, the military is very pro-Trump. That I've, I've sussed out with my contacts, my friends who were in the military, they were like, oh, yeah. And that's a good thing because you're never going to get controlled disclosure with truth in it without some military backing because, you know, mm-hmm. as you know, the, the, the real black hats in the deep state, you know, they, they, they'd rather crack the earth in half than have some of this stuff come out. Right. I mean it. Yeah. Because no, they can leave the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They're like, fuck these guys. Yeah. But yep. there's, you know, the earth is a garden planet. It's a very valuable part of the cosmos. It's alive, Gaia. It has a soul. Uh, mm-hmm. It's ascending through the ascension process, I think, yep. as well as we are. We're part of that. Exactly. And so it's, it gets very complicated with metaphysics. But, and that's why I say everyone's, focused on politics and it's like yeah god there's anything my dad taught me is politics is complete bullshit for the most part it's it's, it's a fake show right you're not gonna get complete. anywhere you know i'm gonna vote fake for trump show. and we'll have disclosure it's like it's not gonna work that way well 100 you know, it, save anyone it's designed it's designed to siphon your energy they want you to put your energy into that instead of focusing on the real issues and even even yourself you know, yeah, that's that's the thing. Instead of focusing on yourself, working on yourself, you've got a million distractions. You got pro football. You got politics. The you know, it's all bread and circuses and and distraction. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. I've seen it all my life. It's amazing. Uh, my dad said, uh, "Well, when you get up there and you got a sensitive issue, you got to give a speech on." You're like, "Well, it's like Lou Elizondo. It's like, well, I can't speak to that UFO sighting, but I can speak to." You know, my sailboat, which I'm varnishing right now, yeah. I go out there and I see strange things in the sky, but I don't know what they are. And all of a sudden, the original question is forgotten. Well, Lou Alzano yeah. always dances around remote viewing topic also. Um, because That's 1960s stuff. I know, but he acts like I just watched a recent interview with him and he was asked about it. And, and you know, he had this very like, oh, I can't talk about that. You know, uh, it was it was just like he makes it so mysterious for some reason. Like, I don't know, what's he actually doing? U.S. Army Counterintelligence Handbook 101. Yeah. I mean, he's out there diluting and shifting the narrative sideways. It's the analogy I always give in my interviews is very apt. You have a frozen lake. You put a Corvette out there with a thousand horsepower. They're putting more power to the ground, but they're only going in circles. Yeah. Oh, see, we're moving ahead with this UAP officing. That's we're advancing. Um, no, you're just creating something else. You know, you're putting more gas down, but you're still going in a circle. Mm-hmm. And so people think, well, gosh, this circle. You know, these, now there's ten Corvettes out there going in a circle, and they're going 500 miles an hour. And I'm like, it's still a circle. Yeah, 100%. they're going nowhere. It's a common counterintelligence tactic, right. and because America believes that, you know, generally believes what they see on the media, it's it's a problem. They can go out there and say, oh, there's only one alien on planet Earth, and it's my cousin John Warner, you know, and everyone's like, oh, I knew it, I knew it. And they're <laughs> coming after me. You know, it people will believe anything. Right. 
it's sad. We're dealing with a, a multifaceted, multi-pronged issue, problem. Uh, everyone's asleep. They've been taught incorrect history. They're ignorant. Uh, they're lazy and they're tired. You know, they're overworked. They're drinking beer, you know, and all that stuff. And then you've got the religions doing their thing, which is, you know, well, don't worry. You know, God You're works go in mysterious that. ways. And go to heaven when you die. And not eat God, but yeah. and then and then you have the media and the government and, and all the distractions. I mean, it's amazing mm -hmm. anyone pays any attention to the UFO ET hidden history subject at all. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing. People they don't, never used to. People don't understand how it how it's relevant to their lives. Like they don't understand how what. Like I I can tell people stuff and I've gotten a response. Okay, well, how does that affect me? Well, we, when you really start researching and diving into it, you realize it's all connected and it affects us, you know, it, it massively every affects way us. possible. Exactly. Yeah, every, yeah exactly. The yep. law of one and, and hermetic law and everything, we're all one. I mean, it's, we're having these different experiences. Um, Christ, a third of our lives is spent in the astral world asleep, dreaming. You know, I wake up exhausted. I'm like doing all kinds of strange things and it's very busy <laughs> right. at night. And my dreams, I'm like, tell my, my wife's like, you look exhausted. And I say, shit, I was in doing yeah. all this stuff and I'm exhausted. Yeah. And people are like, oh, that's just the, you know, the dreams. You know, I smoke pot and I have dreams. And I'm like, no, there's your mind is always there. You know, your soul is out doing strange things. Mm -hmm. You know, I have dreams where I wake up, they're very vivid and lucid. And I'm fighting in the Civil War or the Revolutionary War. And I'm like, shit. You know, <laughs> yes, I know a lot about history and stuff, but it's it's real and it's, right. it's, it's frightening. Right. But, you know, it's the problem is, um, I mean, we have a million problems. So we, we should call it just challenges. Uh, that's a political <laughs> dodge yeah. right there. Oh, we don't <laughs> have any problems. We just have challenges. Challenges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like my dad. Um there's so few of us doing this work, but I, I, I mentor five people. I, I say that with humility. I, I say, you think for yourself, you know, and don't take my word for it. Go do your own research. But they generally uh, ask my opinions on certain things. And I say, look, I think that within, certainly within 20 years, in my, the rest of my lifetime, a lot of people, will start coming towards the disclosure movement and all of its periphery people, you know, megaliths, archaeology, you know, Anunnaki, everything, everything. They're going to start to turn to us. And we have a responsibility to get our shit together and get it straight, as straight as we can. It's, it's a mess. But I've pieced together everything and it kind of sort of makes sense. And the history never did. And you piece together all the new stuff. It does make sense. Right. But there's a leap of faith. And um, but every, we all have that responsibility, even if it's like one thing, you know, that's still a, a very important responsibility, because now all of a sudden you know, people are giving us uh, the credit that uh, that's due. And I mean, everyone, I don't mean presenters or, you know, you guys or me or any, I mean, everyone. Because I had a friend who I've been, you know, mentoring over the years, and they're like, "Oh shit!" And you know, my cousin's starting to ask me questions. And I said, "You have the responsibility to tell them what you think, not what I think, or everyone else, or Greer, or Carrie Cassidy, whatever. Yeah. What you think, because everything is a perspective, right? And that mm -hmm. doesn't make our job any easier; it makes it more difficult, but or challenging. Um, 
But nonetheless, it's the responsibility, I believe, that our higher self and our every time we reincarnate, this is our day job. Right. Exactly. And be be informed enough to be able to answer a question when somebody asks you, um, you know, I, don't just go out there shoving this stuff down people's throats. That doesn't work. If somebody's ready, they're going to ask you. The universe no. will guide them to you. They'll find a way. And then, and then you can share whatever you feel like they can handle. That's how I see it. Yeah, I mean, we, we've all been through it. Uh, I tried to, I had a friend I've known for 45 years. No closer friend exists. And I tried to break this whole thing to him in a context with Chris Mellon and the UAP and everything. And he just shut down. And now we're not friends anymore. I mean, I think a lot of us can right. knows what that pain is. Mm -hmm. um, you're messing with people's hard floor reality. And it's yep. a big, shiny, thick wooden floor. Yep. You've got an ax and people are like, what are you doing? Don't yeah. your chops are to chop away at their floor. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? And they will get uh, one person got angry at me. They oh, really yeah. Threatened to punch me or hit me with a baseball bat. He said, but, you know, um, well, and that's when I learned, uh, I, oh, wow, you, you, you need to talk to people that come to you. Yeah, exactly. Not the other way around. Right. I mean, yeah, we want to, yeah. like, how many times do we want to just, like, wake up, like, grab somebody they, and shake them? They but, view it as an attack on them because their people are identified with their beliefs and their version of reality. And you, when you come at them with information that challenges that, even if they're not, they're not consciously uh, knowing that they're taking it as an attack on them, and they're yeah. just, and and you're the bad guy now, and I, well, this, I have to defend against you and that information yeah, instead and this, of being open to it. This is what my characters have to learn in a World War II setting mm -hmm. by studying Sufi wisdom and philosophy and Carl Jung and you know Steiner and and all that stuff is that. Uh, you know, their version of reality is, is just as valid as ours. Um, mm. Our job is not to slap people awake. I, you know, I'd love to do that, but that's a negative thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Throw something on that. It, what it, what it is, I'm, I'm trying to formulate this in my mind. Uh, I try to practice this every day. Uh, my wife and I, um, you know, we're all going through, holographic universe cosmos as light beings you know everyone's reincarnated you know obviously all of us in the disclosure movement every single one of us is a light warrior uh, mm -hmm. I think that's obvious and i mentioned this in my books and it, it's part of that is processing the pain that the closest most wonderful people you love in the world will never cotton to what you're talking about or relate to it in this lifetime you know mm -hmm. they're there they have incarnated and said i'm going to be asleep my whole life or maybe at the end of my life i'll have a come to jesus and you know mm -hmm. whatever that's to be respected because in, in other words uh, i also like to uh, portray this in, in my writing is that uh, all these psychopaths and hitlers and and uh, you know Epstein's and all that, they're there to teach us something. Yep. In other words, I read a story um, that purports they were going to go back with a time travel operation, military operation, and kill Hitler. I'm sure a lot of people thought about that. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's the wrong thing to do because he needs to live out his lifetime and destiny 
so that me, all of us will learn painful lessons because evolution only, only comes from stress. And so it's very difficult. I mean, I'm thinking about writing this in, my, in another book is having people go back in time. I think they found that when they do time travel, um, if you mess with something, like you push Abe Lincoln off a stage or something into the mud, um, you've, if you alter that timeline, you're just gonna create another timeline. Mm-hmm. And so they've come back from these missions and gone, well, you know, is history changed? And they're like, no, what, what the hell happened? And it's like timelines merge and then they split and they feel Mandela effects. Mandela. It's very difficult to kill someone and expect a change. If you go back and kill Adolf Hitler, somebody else would have taken his place. And yeah. we'd have pretty much a similar outcome. And that's sad with the Holocaust. It's, it's very sad. But remember, as harsh as it is, I, I believe that every one of those people, those are the bravest people, or people that incarnate knowing they're going to lead a life of severe suffering and then an early death. Right. Like, say, a, a person in the Holocaust, a, you know, a Russian or a Jew or someone, as a child. Now, that takes, you know, I like to think of myself, oh, a big, tough person. And it's like, wow, I didn't think of that one. You know, yeah. I don't remember my past lives. My higher self was a bunch of jerks. They, they hardly tell me anything. <laughs> Whatever. You know, I, I get synchronicity. My wife and I are like, oh, synchronicity. It happens to us a lot, but very dropper, you know, stuff. I think it's amazing when people are able, I tried regression therapy, didn't work. Um, oh, yeah. I, no one can hypnotize me, even if I want it to be. <laughs> and I think, I think perhaps it's my higher self going, he calls me dummy. It says, hey, dummy, uh, no, you're not going to learn your past lives because it's not good for you right now. You need to do what you got to do, you know. I agree with you off. Without knowing yeah. that, because yep. if you know all that, you won't do what you fucking need to do. It'll, dummy. It'll, right. Exactly. That's exactly. I say if we, if we came here with our memories, we would never be motivated. Well, we would never do anything. Because we would just we would see everything for what yeah, it is, and then you'd be like, it. But yeah. that, see, my wife and I we work with wounded veterans at my farm twice a year. They come for a, a, a rustic black powder, you know, with flintlock, you know, deer hunt, and it's a very therapeutic thing for them. And it's the way we she and I've been doing it for years, and it's our way of, of trying to give back um, in a hands-on, you know, grassroots way. And it's so rewarding. Um, I have pictures on my website. Um, they're the most wonderful people. And, you know, there's guys your age or even gals. And they say, oh, my God, I've got 300 people. So there's a shrapnel in me. I'm in chronic pain, but they can't take it out. And it's doubly painful for me and, and my wife because we know they have medbed technology to heal all that. Right. Cure all the kids with cancer. And I even talked about this with Chris Mellon. He's like, yeah, I've heard about that. You know, and that was the one thing we fucking agreed on. <laughs> some of this bringing out some of this technology, which I think he is trying to do, I hope, in his own weird patrician, you know, button coat and tie way. Um, but that was the one thing we did agree on. And I said, right. I know they got it because, I, you know, my own eye guy says, you know, I can't talk about that. But, yeah. you know, a lot of people nod to yeah. me in conversations. I ask a question and they just nod. It's like my dad, you know. Hey, did you go aboard a spaceship? He just right. nods. No, something like that. And right. It's true. I believe it's true. That I way thought. they can say, well, I never told him anything. Right. 
I've, I've talked to uh, somebody within the Navy and I asked about the med beds and same thing. Like they can't tell you, but they tell you. Well, it's for Navy yeah. SEALs and Black Ops use only. Yeah. And or for high, high importance, maybe an admiral or something. Right. Or the elites. But um, John, this has been amazing, man. We've been going for close to two hours now. Um, let people know where they can find you, your website, where they can get your books, all that stuff. Uh, my website is John W. Warner, the fourth author.com. Um, and all the information and I have photos on their uh, website. I also have a lot of notes that I've taken over the years. Uh, they're available for download. It's thousands of pages of just everything. I mean, everything under the sun. I, I'm not, I don't, it's not personal commentary. It's just my notes. Right. I don't know if this, that, and the other, but it's, I try to take notes on everything that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all that information is in there. And uh, a lot of your viewers would be very familiar with it. Um, but there are some interesting things I've uh, done with that. And the books are available there. They're, all my profits go to a wounded veteran charities. You know, Amazon gives me 10 cents or something. I, cheap <laughs> bastards. Jeff Bezos. There's another bio robot in control of you know, trillions of dollars. Yep. Right. You know, but I'll, I'll tell you, these people, everyone's like, oh, truly, um, Elon Musk is the richest guy in the world. I'm like... Um, no, uh, there, there are Royal families in Europe, maybe the British and everything. Else. They have hundreds of trillions. Well, we don't know. We don't know well, the names. Money of is meaningless. It, it's yeah. only meaningful to the little people. Uh, and the amount of gold on the planet is way more than is on the books. Yeah. It's, it become worthless. <laughs> way more. It, it, yeah. it become worthless. That's, that's another thing I found out, um, that made me, I, God, I cried. And it was when they were looking, they knew about Yamashita, General Yamashita's gold stashes, the Japanese general. He was the mm-hmm. conqueror of Singapore. And he's a nasty piece of work. But he had caches of this stuff. He raided all the Khmer ruins and everything, caves in Vietnam during World War II. A lot of the reason, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I think it's true. A lot of the reason we had to do the island hopping would had to do with securing those stashes. Because as a military historian, I could tell you, we didn't need to take all those little islands, Taipan and everything like that. A lot of historians are, are, are with me on that. They're kind of like, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. Why do we do that? And I think it's because of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the G2 Army Intelligence and OSS and everyone, they were like, no, we need to take this little island at the cost of God knows how many thousands of lives. Not only for an airbase, but because there's treasure there. And who knows, there might have been crash UFOs at the time, other things. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they were definitely recovering that during the war. Right. Um, right. Chris, there's a story yeah. that I heard that uh, there was a Navy ship, it was craning a spaceship out of the uh, Coral Sea while it was being attacked by Japanese bombers. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a sci fi movie for you, right there. there yeah, it's, it's oh, like yeah. right out of sci fi. Um, I wouldn't believe it except for the person who told me that. <laughs> well thanks for coming on man this has been great thanks for sharing everything with us it's a lot of fun and um yeah we'll put your links below guys uh there's still tickets available to the conference you want to come out and learn some more about the secret space program hang out with all of us and just you know finally get to be with people in person instead of online that's my that's what i'm looking most forward to so come hang out with us secretspaceconference.info um john this is awesome thanks man thanks for coming on Thank you for having me. You guys do a great job.
Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Right. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, would you uh, people you're on Twitter, right? Can you drop your Twitter? Twitter I'm not right on now? Twitter. I, I gave it up. I, OK, too much work for too little. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's not, yeah, it's not worth it. I did. I'm not looking for reward, but everything I did, uh, you know, I did try to do very well. And uh, it's obviously, you know, they've got my number. And I know I know Chris and Lou. <laughs> Right. Yeah. It's kind of a lost cause. They're on me too. And it, it, it at the end of the day, it, Twitter, uh, it, it's a, it's a mishmash. It's a slurry of, of, you know, it's just a fast food fix for the human mind. <laughs> right. Yeah. Perfect. That's social media in general. Um, yeah. All right. Exactly. All right. Good night, everybody. Um, thanks for tuning in and we will see you next time. Good night. Good night guys.